Immediately a man was nailed to the cross, he lost all his rights. And if you ever get nailed to the cross, you lose all yours too. We love ourselves so much. And who are we we talking about now? Unbelievers? No. So-called believers who have never understood what it is to take up the cross and put self to death. See, because in the last days, there's going to be very little preaching about the cross and death to self-life. And so, when there's no preaching against death on death to self, self is going to flourish in the lives of many Christians. They won't even know that you cannot follow Jesus if you love yourself. I don't ask people if they're saved anymore. Who isn't saved? From the White House to the Jailhouse. I'm asking you, does Christ live in you? Christianity is the only religion in the world where a man's God comes and lives inside of him. Thanks be to God that when I finally acknowledge that I can't do this, it's not possible for me to live the Christian life on my own. I'm not called to chart my own course. I'm not called to create my own destiny and ask God to bless it. I'm called to follow Him. I'm called to give up the rights to my life and walk with the Holy Savior. I'm called to let His mind be formed in me. His life become my life. His ways become my ways. His purpose become my purpose. His plan become my plan. And then the power of God will come upon me. From those that are picking your pocket in the name of Jesus, run! Run from churches where men and not Christ are glorified. Run! Run from those who preach division between races and cultures. Run! Run from preachers that stand and tell stories and jokes. Run like you've never run before. Amen to that. I have said this before and I'll say it again. The the gospel is there for the edifying, the clarifying, the cleansing of the soul. The gospel, not your stories, not your jokes. The Lord has given us scripture. He's given us tools to use to search through that scripture. He didn't give you, you know, the Jack Hiles 4,000 anecdotes that you can tell from the pulpit or some other mohunk out there. He gave you the word of God, full 66 books written over 4,000 years by multiple different authors. Men inspired by God to inspire us to use the the power of the Holy Ghost to inspire us to carry on to do the work that the original writers did. But yet, here we are. So many years later, watching day after day, Sunday after Sunday, that it's just driveling off into nowhere. With, let me tell you this about me. I don't want to hear about you. If I'm going to get up in the morning drink my two cups of coffee or whatever, prepare for my day, and then go off and sit in a pew in a cold church somewhere, shaking and shivering because they don't know how to run the air conditioning or run the heat, I'm sorry. Where there are just 
marking time and playing church. I'm not going to do it. Going to get to the point where I get old, it gets old and I walk away. Listen to me. We need to get back to the basics. We need to get back to the idea of who God is. What he is, which that doesn't mean, oh, what is he? It means is he is holy. Three times, holy, 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 holy is the Lord God Almighty. That's what the angels, the seraphim that flew around the throne in Isaiah's day, holy, holy, holy. They didn't say love, love, love. God is love, but that love is holy. It's not the kind that man has. God is and the embodiment of holiness, purity, righteousness, pure judgment. But yet, I sit and I listen to these men and because they've been to a college somewhere, they're better than a guy who hasn't been. I'll tell you something. I've, I've heard some really good preachers out there, pastors even, never stepped a foot into a college, but they stood. You want to know one? We got to go back to the 1800s. It's a guy named Charles Haddon Spurgeon. If you're a Baptist, you should know who he is. But some of the Baptists hide from him because, A, he wasn't a pre-tribulationist. B, he used the Bible. C, he was very well versed in Scripture on his own merit and the merit of God, of course. They called him the prince of preachers. Now, was he perfect? Of course not. No man is. But he he took to the word of God like a man on fire. That's what you want. You send these guys off to a college, they come back all wet. You can't get them on fire. They've been taught what that denomination wants them to know. Now, let's get into something today before I get off. i got to get off my rant. But it's true. You can tell a story to so into, you know, so like S-E-U-S-E-W, sewing a garment together. As long as it's reverent and as long as it's relevant. But some of this stuff I've listened to, I just... I don't know why these guys are still in the pulpits. Some of them had massive ministries in the past. Couldn't learn a thing except they were a cult. There are some who are just flat out cults. How can you tell? First of all, they won't preach true repentance. Second of all, they don't even preach good salvation messages. It's all about the sinner's prayer and then go do what you want. Your sins are forgiven, past, present, and future, no matter what you do. You can become an atheist, agnostic, homosexual, witch, W-I-T-C-H, witch, warlock, whatever, Satanist, and you're still saved. My friend that I never met, we corresponded a little bit in emails. Dr. Michael Heiser, who has gone on to be in glory, made a statement at one point that struck with me and stayed with me. There will be no Baal, B-A-A-L, worshipers in heaven. You either turn from that, being born again, turning around, That's repentance, being born again. Repentance are actually two different things. Being born again, you're a new creature in Christ. And repentance comes with it because 
You don't want to live the way you did before. You know what God has done for you, what Jesus did for you. And you don't want to dishonor that. Two things men fear. We'll go to the first one because it's probably the first and foremost one, and that is death. Man does. He, he, they fear death. We all do. But as we read more of what the Bible tells us about passing from this life to the next, it gets a little bit less daunting. I believe it's the way we get to the other side of this life that is daunting to us. It is the, the, the vehicle that we are on, which is this body, which breaks down day by day, hour by hour, and definitely year by year. We can't see as good, smell as good, hear as good, feel things as well. Uh, aches and pains move in. Cancer shows up, whatever. But yet we hang on with clenched fist to this life. Yes, we take pills to prolong because modern medicine, some of it's miraculous, some of it is not. You know, some of that is actually we should repent of what we're eating or smoking or drinking. But we don't. We want to hang on to those things that we think we need. Now, I'm not saying give up your medication. Don't do that. I'm not a doctor. I'm not even trying to say anything like that. I'm not trying to say anything about our medical needs. But we know that as we go along and we get older, everything just starts to feel like, a, what did I get that thing for? It doesn't, my fingers don't, I got arthritis and blah, blah, blah. But Jesus said in John chapter 12 and 24, I'm using the New American Standard Bible today and I'm uh, from 1995. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Now, I'm going to tell you something. When you read that, a lot of people read over it, and they just, you know, or they get a message from some guy uh, that gives you the, oh, you know, this is bearing much fruit. That's the going out knocking on doors and, and you know, all that kind of, yeah, oh, you know what? That is part of bearing fruit is winning souls. He who, he who wins souls is wise, says Solomon. But here's the thing other than all that. Look at it. Something's got to die. You, me, we have to die to ourself. I have used the uh, uh, other passages on dying to self so many times. And I'm knocking them in there somewhere. Uh, Matthew 19, verse 21. Pick up the cross and follow me. That's pretty simple stuff. You pick up a cross, you're, you're done. But he's not saying it in the temporal space. He's talking about the spiritual aspect. That stuff that you think it's okay to do needs to stop. That person that you are right now needs to die. Sounds ominous, but it's just it. And I'm going to tell you something. On both sides of this death quotient, men are fearful or just rebellious on this one. But let's, let's stay with the fear factor. They're afraid of losing friends. They're afraid of losing family. These men that Jesus spoke to in his day lost all of it. They lost their jobs. They walked away from their fishing boats and all the other things that they were doing. Matthew walked away from a very lucrative stealing career as a tax collector. Zacchaeus was another one. You know, he wasn't an actual one of the 12 disciples, but he, he left all that. 
the Pharisees would stand outside the camp because they were so much better than Jesus, so they thought. They would, they would stand outside and point in and say, he's eating with tax collectors and sinners and hookers. What's up with this guy? He's a rabbi. He should not even be near them. To this day, modern rabbis are probably a little bit afraid of doing all that. But Jesus was not. He knew what his mission was. His mission was to win the lost souls of Israel to their Messiah. He didn't win that many when it comes right down to it. You know, when you think of the millions, right? He won a lot. But his disciples after him did much greater things. If you really, if you look at that verse, it's also, I think it's at the end of Mark. Uh, I didn't, I don't have that note. So it's off the top of my head where he says, you will, you will do greater things, greater things in winning souls. Peter preached a message. 5,000 people got saved and he did that a couple of times. So the church was, and God added to the church daily as he saw fit, but that's off the topic. Truly, truly, I say, unless that grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. So it's kind of, you got to read that in the right context. That grain of wheat, if it just goes into the ground and that's it, it just lays there, you know, Hey, I'm a grain of wheat. Look at me. It does nothing. Hey, grain of wheat, what are you going to do? I can't do anything. But when it dies to itself, see that grain of wheat is us. We are that grain of wheat. We are laying there alone, doing nothing on our own. But when it dies to itself, that's what it, you have to read kind of a little bit in there. When it dies, but if, he says actually, not when, I'm sorry, if it dies, it bears much fruit. Because that stock comes up, nothing much on the stock. It's as you grow, you start to sprout out and things grow upon you that are fruitful, worthy of eating, worthy of use, worthy of going as themselves as grains of fruit or grains of wheat that may fall into the earth and die and then grow and bear much more fruit. See, that's how that's, that, you did get it? I hope I didn't confuse that. We have to die to ourselves. We have to die to the life that we are living currently if we are unsaved. Sometimes even if you've whispered the prayer that, that they want to push on you, the sinner's prayer. I got him to say the sinner's prayer. Good for you. Now, what are you doing with them? Oh, I, they're good. I gave him a Bible and sent him down the road. Sorry. You just took responsibility for somebody. And you should disciple that person. You don't have to be a preacher. You don't have to be a podcast host. You don't have to have an ordination card. That's all legalism. Well, the ordination card. That, that, that's what the, what the world wants. The preacher thing. That's what the world wants. Listen to me. Each and every one of us is a grain of wheat in the eyes of God. And that grain, if, if, you, if you get... It's, I can't even say it. I have seen this happen so many times where people are led through this sinner's prayer and then just cut loose. And, you know, they, they'll stand around and brag about how many people they've won to the Lord through that. And yet those people are not living for, I've even heard people say, well, he's not living for the Lord now. 
then he's probably not saved. You probably didn't get him there. Well, I took him down the Romans road that Jack Hiles says he invented. Anything that that guy had a finger in, run from it. In Matthew 19, I will go back and hit this. Jesus says to the rich young ruler, you know, after he, he, he tells him, goes, he runs him through the law, by the way, not the Romans road. If you wish to be complete, if you wish to be saved, if you wish to be fulfilled in me, go and sell your possessions, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. That's, see, that's the, that's the light version. In other accounts, we know that Jesus said more. Yes, he did. Let's take a look at what he said over in Luke. This is a very good one, by the way. This is one of my favorites. One thing you still lack, sell all your possessions, distribute to the poor, and you shall have treasures in heaven and come follow me. He he was sad because he was rich. You know, that's a that's that's the that's the problem is we're stuck on our life here. We're stuck on our possessions here and we don't want to give them up. We don't want to step away from all that. We we want we want the salvation, we want the trip to heaven, but we don't want the pains and the anguish that might come with it. You know, we'll just we'll show up quietly in our church and, you know, it's all good. Because we don't really have to get our hands dirty. There is a lacking in how we function out here in this world with people. There is a dire, I I, I mean, I'm sorry, but, you know, you need to take responsibility Mark 10, 21, King James Version says it much better. Jesus, beholding him, loved him, the rich young ruler. Now, I get, I, this is Mark 10. You read that on your own, Matthew 19. I think it's Luke 2. <clears throat> Jesus said, and he, he loves this guy. He looks at him with compassion because it, it's, you know, he's not saying, oh, you're a dead sinner and I don't care about you. He looks at him and he loves him. He holds him. He says to him, one thing more that you lack, go your way, sell whatever you have, get rid of everything, give it to the poor, and you shall have treasure in heaven, and then come follow me. Take up your cross and follow me. Unfortunately, the New American Standard kind of left that take up your cross part out. It's a part I love because it makes that point about the weight, the wheat falling into the ground. If it just falls there and lays there, it's nothing. It does nothing. It needs to die. It needs to germinate. That's what that's what a seed does. And you can say that of any seed, okay? seed of corn, a seed of wheat, a seed of green beans. When you put them in the ground and you water them, they croak. But through the magic of God, no, that's the wrong word, the miracle of God, that which dies then bears much fruit. That which goes into that germination phase bears much fruit. And then that 
It's a multiplication thing. It just keeps happening. But it doesn't, it can end at any point where the person says, oh, I guess I'm not, you know, I'm not ready for this dying to myself thing. That's also, like I say, that's, that's a repentance thing. A lot of churches don't really preach that anymore. It's too uncomfortable. People have gotten, yeah, they're a little happy with the stuff they're doing on the outside. And who are we, really? Who are we to push them to do something else? It's much, too much, much misfortune there. Death, even in this case, is kind of scary. It's a little disconcerting. First Corinthians fifteen thirty seven, and that which you sow, if you sow not to that body, that shall be, but bare grain, it may chance of wheat or some other grain. That which you sow, thou sowest not. That body that shall be, but bare grain, it may chance of wheat or of some other grain. A little hard to understand that one. But you, basically what you sow, you reap. You sow wheat, you're going to weep. weep. You're going to reap wheat. You sow onions, you're going to get onions. Tomatoes, tomatoes. But if that corn of wheat, they call it corn of wheat, that seed doesn't die when it hits the ground, gets in the ground, it will not grow. It will not produce anything. This is one of those paradoxes that we've, we run into now and then where people say, well, now it, it says a dead man can't do anything. Well, that's an unregenerate dead man. No, he cannot do anything. There's a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot that can go into this fear of death. Once you start to study, and you have to, I'm telling you, study to show yourself approved is what Paul wrote to Timothy, a workman not ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Okay, get into that. Understand the word study. When you you look at the Greek, it'll say study. I don't know the exact Greek word, okay? But look at it. Study it. Understand the word study and then do it. When we study the word and we start to look at what it says, Paul wrote and said, absent from the body, present with the Lord, period. What does that say? You know, Graham used to constantly say, last breath here, first breath there. That's as good as it gets. You can't get around that. It's the gospel truth. We can't change what the Bible is trying to tell us. So let's stop it. Let's just do what it says. Mary, at the weddings that Jesus, they went to the wedding in Cana. This is uh, John chapter two. Mary says to the servants when she told Jesus, they, they have no wine. He says, well, why are you bothering me? You know, well, yeah, there's a, that's another study. But uh, Jesus was making her aware that their, their relationship as mother and son was changing. When he says, woman, what do you have to do with me? My time has not yet come. He meant no disrespect to her. He just simply was saying, our relationship's about to change because I'm going to do something here that is going to be shocking to people. Turned water into wine. But before that, she turned to the servants and she said, whatever he says, do it. Or do whatever he says. However you want to quote that out Mary's words are not very often printed in scripture 
It is our friends, the Roman Catholics, who have elevated her to a point where she did not wish to be, or, or nor did God. But um, she has some poignant facts. When she does speak, she speaks pretty wise. Whatever he does, do it. Whatever he says, do it. Whatever he says, I could change. Whatever Jesus tells you to do, follow it. We are running down this road, like say the fear of death. And as you study it, I mean, Jesus going to the cross, I see no fear. People twist it a little bit. Well, what, what, what he said in the, in the garden, if there's another way. Again, another study for another day, but there was no fear there. It was simply, if there's an easier way for us to do this that men will believe, then is it? And the, he got the answer, no, there's not. The perfect one must be sacrificed, and he was. That's a, that's a real simplified version of the Gethsemane prayer. But it's, it's pretty accurate. Jesus wasn't trying to get out of the cross. He was just saying, if there's a way that man would believe. And even at that, men don't believe. That's for the second part of the study for today. But I, I, as I, I've looked at it, I've, I've watched for a lot of folks pass away. They pass in different ways. They pass in fear. They they just literally drop dead. Uh, some, you know, languish for a while and are gone. Sometimes it is a, a lot of fear there. Some, I think God with his saints, a lot of times he slips them into a state that they just slip away with no real anguish. And that's 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 a great way to go, by the way. Just slide away. Your heart stops beating here. But the real heart that God has given you will beat on the other side. Fear of death. We're not supposed to have it. Let's just, both fears that I have here. There's another fear coming, trust me. I've it was just the I feel the Lord lays things on me. I don't say that he just opens me up and talks to me straightforward like some do. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, God has not given us a spirit of timidity. That's NASB. I say fear but of power and of love and of a sound mind. You can also say discipline. That sounds a little better, doesn't it? Sound mind or discipline. He wants you to be disciplined, not beaten, but discipline yourself. We are not to have a spirit of fear. There is a fear spirit. And we're not to have that we are children of the king now you might still be afraid of snakes and spiders and creepy crawly stuff that's not what we're talking about jesus said fear not him who can destroy or kill the body but fear him capital h god who can destroy both body and soul in hell that's who you fear god we are to have a healthy fear of God. I don't care what the preacher tells you. Read it. Check it. See how many times it says fear of God, fear of God, fear of God through the scriptures. He's, he's, he's God. In uh, uh, Hebrews 4, verse 12, this is one of those that we know rather well, I imagine. And I'm going to look at several different versions of the Bible 
as it is written. We'll look at the old vaunted King James first. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and the marrow, and is the discerner of the thoughts and uh, intents of the heart. That's pretty straightforward even in its own. Now, in this particular verse, the word, word, for the word of God uh, is not capitalized. And, it, and as far as I know, it's not in any of them. But I had, a, I had a revelation of my own. I'm not saying that God gave it to me, but it just made me think because I was studying John chapter 1 for uh, teaching purposes. <coughs> Excuse me. And, you know, it says the word was God and the word was with God and the word was made flesh and manifest amongst us or, you know, uh, I, I paraphrased about six verses there together. So we understand that the word of God is God or Jesus in flesh, God in flesh, Emmanuel, God in flesh, Jesus. And it is quick and powerful. Now go to the new King James. It's actually a pretty good, uh, this one, I, a brother of mine was using that Bible. We were doing a study on this. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, and of joints and marrow is discerner of the thoughts and, and the intents of the heart. It's an interesting one. I saw another one. Because they keep updating... <laughs> these these other versions unfortunately not seeing the one I wanted but I'll, I'll I'll say this I think it was verse 13 actually yep I'm sorry verse 13 Hebrews 4 12 is the passage I was shooting for but verse 13 as well Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and opened unto the eyes of him whom we have to do, with him whom we have to do. Uh, New King James. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open in the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. We are open, bared. Naked means bare. I mean, you're you're not clothed. You're bare before this wonderful king. You know, not some king, earthly king, but the king of the universe. And we use that term, but we sometimes, I think, lose our sight of just how truthful that is, and how awesome that is, that he is the king of everything. And when we come before him someday at the judgment seat of Christ, this is where, the, where, this is where believers go. See, this would be a little bit of that maybe fear of death thing comes in. That there is a day when I will be judged. Now, that doesn't get taught very often in this world. Because everything's about golden streets and dancing and parades and uh, look at who I saved and everything else. When the truth of the matter is, is one day you will stand or bow before this throne and your life and what you've done with it since you got saved before you were saved is gone. Because he takes your former life and throws it to the wind. But this life, after you've been regenerated, reborn, whatever terminology, again, uh, that you want to use, you'll be judged on everything from that way forward. You know, good stuff will be gold and precious stones and silver. And the other stuff, which is worthless, will be poofed in a wood hay and stubble which burns up and it will be tested with fire now some people it says will 
they'll still be saved, Paul says, but they will have that smell on them for a while. There could be some angst, I guess, about what you just had revealed to you. Now, do we know that everybody else is going to see it or not? I don't know. But you will. That word of God back there, neither, I'm sorry, verse number 12, the, the, uh, for the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword. The word of God is the word of God, the Bible, is the same way. If you read it correctly, it's sharper than any two-edged sword. That means there are other two-edged swords out there. Men write their wonderful tomes of, you know, this is my exposition of the scripture. But if you know your scripture and you read that and you look at the scriptures, the, the Bible itself, and you can sit there and say that doesn't really add up. That's because that two-edged sword of God has fallen upon this other supposed two-edged sword and broken it right off. The Book of Mormon. These are the most pagan people, at least in the United States, but on the planet. They have... I heard a guy say the other day, and I knew they were very odd, but they have gods upon gods upon gods upon gods with little G's, of course, Uh, millions of them, because they believe you become a god. You do not. Even in your new body that you will get from what we read in uh, 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 15, uh, around verse number 55, and then what you read again in in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, which talks of the resurrection and the new bodies, that still is not a body that makes you a god. It just is an eternal body or an immortal body that will be there in the presence of God. It's a body that can handle that. The body you're in now cannot, and you will never be God. That's what the devil thought he was going to be. I will, I will, I will. Okay, you didn't, you didn't, you didn't, you won't. He sealed his fate, thinking he could be God. For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than a two-edged sword. It's a little bit off of my topic, but it is not because we do have that judgment that it talks of in, in Hebrews 4.13 where we will be naked and opened, split wide open, nothing hid from God and judged. What else are men afraid of? They're afraid of the truth. They're afraid of the truth even though the Bible tells us, John 8.32 I think we all know this one. And you will know the truth. And the truth will make you free. If you continue in my word, Jesus says, if you continue doing what I've been telling you, he tells his disciples, if you continue following me, if you continue living a life that reflects me, that's what he's saying. He's not saying, oh, if you continue reading the word of God, well, I want you to do that. They didn't have the full word of God back then. I know people who don't understand us because they don't have context in their life. When Jesus said in verse number 31, so Jesus was saying to those Jews who had received him or believed him, if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine. And you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Now, today we have the full word of God. You can argue about how much you want to have of it. I got 66 books here that do me just fine. I've read the book of Enoch and Jasher and all the others. I just, that was more like literature to me. Maccabees and whatnot. 
you can even quote from those if you want to, but I wouldn't. Only in context of a different context. But here's the thing. Jesus is just telling them, if you continue in my word, if you keep doing what I've been telling you to do, you'll be known. You'll be a people of say that's a disciple of that Jesus. But you know, people are kind of afraid of it. They're afraid of the truth. You know why? Because that truth is there to change you. John chapter 3. Everybody knows this one, don't you? Oh, he's going to read John 3.16. No, he's not. It doesn't take long in John chapter 3 for Jesus to go right to the heart of a matter. Because the heart comes at uh, right off the bat, verse number one. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, uh, whose name actually means something like you know, ruler, overcomer. Uh, the word Nico or Nico is in there, or Nike, a ruler of the Jews. See, that's it. That was his name, Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. And he came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you have come from God as a teacher. Ooh, a teacher. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Emmanuel, God with him. I say to you, Jesus says in verse number three, said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. If you are born again, that's a new birth. I.e., that is a new life. Paul said you are a new creature in Christ. He also wrote about taking on the mind of Christ. That means getting rid of the one you got. Taking the filth and the garbage and the junk and throwing it away. Not continuing in that, like Jesus said, if you continue in my word. If you stay in the word of God, sin will still come after you because we have that nature. But the more you stay in the word of God, the, the more that gets away from you, that sin part gets away. But if you stay away from reading, studying, and devouring the word of God as you should, if you don't do it, hey, you're going to fall sooner or later. You're going to say, well, I don't really need church. I've been saved. You'll say, I don't, or, or a good church, let's put it that way, a Bible teaching church. I don't need uh, to listen to these different people like MacArthur and and uh, Paul Washer, who we should pray for. He's got uh, some heart issues. I heard the other day, surgery upcoming. And for those of you who've been with me, you've heard me speak of Paul Washer. He's a uh, he's a Baptist. He's a Calvinist. I'm not against that. I know guys that will say, "Oh no, don't listen to him. He's a Calvinist." Once you realize what salvation is, you're leaning more towards the Calvinist camp than you know. You don't come to salvation on your own. A dead man can do nothing but stink. But God calls you out. Now, you say, well, I went to the church, and when I was there, I heard a message, and it, it, it turned me around. It got me thinking. Who do you think pulled you towards that church? Or maybe it was a friend of yours who was working in the stead of the Holy Ghost. Not instead of, but in his power. Hey, hey Bob, you got to come to church. You gotta, Steve, you got to come see what's going on. Hey, Tom, you, you, wouldn't, you don't want to miss this guy. He's really something. And you say, well, you know, I'm tired of you just hitting. I'll go. I'll go. And you know something? That's a divine appointment that was made. You didn't go on your own. You went because your buddy asked you, but you also went because God 
compelled him to compel you. Take yourself out of things. Remember that grain of wheat? It's got to fall into the, wor- into the world, into the dirt. And what's it do? It dies. And then it grows. Much, much fruit is grown with it. That's truth, period. The word of God is true. That's why a lot of people will not read it. Why do people curse God's name? Because there's so much power in the God of heaven, so much more than there is in Buddha or Kin, uh, what's his name, Krishna or whoever, Confucius, all those guys. They're men. God is not a man. God became a man, but a man who never sinned. His name was Jesus Christ. That's truth. Well, you know, I don't believe that, you know, he's the only way. But yet he tells us, I am the only way. There's no other way to get to the Father except through the through Jesus, through the Son. There's a narrow way in Matthew chapter 7 that you've all heard me speak of if you've listened to me for any period of time. And then there's a broad way that leads to destruction. A lot of people are on the broad way. A lot of people that you sit there and look around your congregation, they're on that broad way. They don't even know it because they've never heard the hard-edged truth, this truth from the Word of God that is quick and powerful, sharper than the two-edged sword. No creature, no creature will escape this. They're talking about creatures of human flesh, creatures. No man. will get around. Uh, New Living Translation, let's look at that in verse number 14, or sorry, in Hebrews 4, 13. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before his eyes. And he is the one to whom we are accountable. You, my friend, are not even accountable to your very uh, boss, president, even your wife, you are account- you better, better stay accountable to her but or him, husband. But I say it kind of jokingly, okay. But the truth of the matter is, it is God. It is the Lord Jesus Christ sitting on the throne that one day we are totally accountable. He is the one. That should be capitalized one. Nothing. No one is hidden from him. Remember it says, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess. There's two places where that'll happen. The Bema seat or the judgment seat of Christ and the great white throne. The great white throne is in Revelation, I think chapter 19. And that is where all the lost show up. There'll be a big crowd there. Unfortunately, I wish all could be saved. And Jesus does too. God does. He doesn't, he doesn't have any, doesn't enjoy the, 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 the total destruction and throwing into hell of, of, of the lost, but he knows it must happen. He's righteous in his judgment and it will happen. Unfortunately, it doesn't have to. We need to get out there. I'm trying with podcasting. I I preach a lot. I'm not talking about me, though. I'm just saying this is one thing you can do. You can write a blog. You can can hand out tracts on the street or, or to your friends or whatever. Young's literal translation says of uh, Hebrews 4.13, and there is not a creature, I'm sorry, there is not a created thing nor not manifest before him. 
but all things are naked and open to his eyes with whom is our reckoning. There's a lot of ways that this verse can, that's Young's literals, sometimes very hard to, to follow how because it's a literal uh, Greek or Hebrew translation of the Bible. Very hard to follow sometimes, but it is very spot on on that one. Nothing gets past God. Don't fear death to the point of shaking your in your limbs about it. Study the Bible about it. Maybe I can go deeper. I don't know. I I would I would adjure you to go on to the internet since you're listening to me. You have that, and uh, if I can remember where I got it, I will send you. I think it's a uh, mongerism. I know that sounds odd, but it it, it has a it has a real meaning. Dot uh, com, and they have just loads of books that you can download if you have a even on your phone. I, I read I read on my phone a lot now. I didn't, I didn't realize it, but you can get it in Kindle and and PDF and all these other different ways. There's a book out there written by a guy named Thomas Brooks, and I've quoted him on uh, on my Facebook page a couple of times and uh, put the memes or whatever, you know, and different things. But he wrote a book about death. The, the last day, the last day of a believer is his best day. The last day is his best day. I'm sorry, turn away from the microphone. And it helps us to understand that when you know God and when God knows you, your last day is your best day. So anyway, I'm not I'm not promoting jumping in front of a train or running in front of a bus. I'm just saying be ready. Be ready. Seek God's presence in your life. If you know lost ones, and your family. This is Thanksgiving week as well. We need to consider them. There's nothing more thankful in this world than to see someone come to the saving knowledge of Christ. November the 22nd, I believe I got. We have an awesome responsibility. When it comes to the winning of souls, we have an awesome responsibility that God has entrusted in us. And uh, I don't want us to take it lightly. Because every day, 150,000 people, supposedly a day, slip out into eternity. And many of them slip out into an eternity away from God. So push this podcast out if you believe the truth is there. Um, if you believe that uh, what I'm saying is worthy, share it, push it, promote it, whatever you, whatever word you want to use. I don't ask for money. I never will. I don't. I don't need it. Whatever I do get through ministry goes back to ministry. But that's for whoever wishes to do so. There's no donate button or anything on my page. Nothing. I trust God, and I know that in these days that we live right now, we must. But friends, don't fear what comes next. One, one writer I read just the other day who said, death is not a wall, but a turnstile that we go through. You want to make sure that when you go through that turnstile, it's into the glories of heaven and not into the agony of hell. I think today we've reached our apex, and we'll just call it that. Oh, I'm a traveler. Till next time, this is Tom Richardson with the Removing Confusion podcast. So happy you joined us. Enjoy your holiday season. Till later. There's a mansion and streets of gold. 